Look at my butt. Show number 245 of Look at His Butt, LT and JK Talk Trek. Listeners, this is going to be a very exciting show because we have a wide variety of topics to we talk do. to you about. We do, and it's it's just post-Halloween, so um, we have a little Halloween-y thing to discuss, which uh, I found quite amusing that it showed up. Well, I'll just talk about that first. Uh, okay, do so, it. So, um, you know, StarTrek.com posts things all the time, and I was uh, surprised and delighted to see that they had a whole article about the Halloween mask that is, I mean, literally Halloween-like from the movie Halloween. That's mm-hmm. always been reported to be a, a, a Shatner mask, and it is. People it have is, said that yes. many times. And so there was a nice little article about it with some very nice pictures. These are some of the best pictures of the mask that I've seen. Yeah, um, I agree with that. You can really see that it's Bill. I mean, it's clearly mm-hmm. his features. Um. And the thing that I couldn't figure out, and I was wondering if you had thoughts on this, is what they would have made it for, because Bill didn't say, he said he couldn't remember, and I believe that, um, it was sometime post-Star Trek, but prior to when the the Halloween movie was made. So what would they have had to make that kind of mask of him for? And it's pre-TMP, correct? I believe so. Because TMP had that weird warp effect, yeah. and I, I'm pretty sure they had to make masks for that. But um, yeah, that's something I have wondered about too. Um, what they needed that for? Yeah, I, I, do you think it could have been for like the Devil's Reign? Because he wore some pretty oh, heavy makeup in that movie, right? And his face melts. And his face melts. So that's the only thing. In that fact, I that's could think the thing of. that looks the closest to the mask. Yeah. So maybe it was for that movie that they had to do it so they could put all the junk on his face and have it wow, melt off. Wow. That's my theory, anyway. I don't know if it's Good true. Good theory. Or not. Good theory. What I really liked about this article at StarTrek.com is that they included um, a little clip at the end when Bill had been doing that series of videos uh, with his daughters asking him questions from uh, readers or or Yes, yes. And he told the story about how he had gotten one of these masks and put it on and went out trick-or-treating with his children. Yes, yes. I've heard him tell that story, (laughs) and I think it's it's sweet. It's delightful. So that was great. Very good. So, uh, yeah. Speaking of children... Um, on Heroes and Icons tonight, Miri was on. Ah, uh-huh. Blah, blah, blah. And, um, (laughs) I noticed something I never noticed before when they're, like, panning all the kids. At Uh least two of those kids are also in Children Shall Lead. Oh, I know one of them was. I didn't know it was two. It looks to me like, uh, the black kid and the Asian kid, I believe, are both in that episode as well. I can believe it. You know, there were probably a small pool of working child actors at that time. Well, who, we've seen the same actors, you know, from Star Trek uh, and sure. all kinds of stuff over and over. So I think it was a, a community. Uh-huh. So, you know, just yeah, one of those, those kids- little things when you watch something for the umpteenth time. <laughs> 
those kids were a known quantity, right? Like they, when yes. they did marry, the directors were like, okay, these kids are fine. We know we can hire them and they'll act and they'll be there and they'll hit their marks and learn their lines and do whatever right. they have to do. So when they're going to cast kids again, it makes sense that they would just choose people that they knew instead of taking a chance. Mm-hmm. Um, Especially that, with children with because they're, you know, unpredictable. Yes, they are. Yes. Never, never act with children and animals. That's what. That's uh, right. And them. you know, Gypsy has both. <laughs> <laughs> so um, let's let's talk about Bill a little bit because uh, there's Bill. Bill news. Okay. Yes. He, yes. He, he's touring right now with his mm-hmm. one-man show. He's going around the country doing it and doing lots and lots of promotion for it. And, and I it, believe um, our good friend Cheryl is either either seeing it tonight or saw it last night. Oh, how so, um, Yeah. Pretty cool. Oh, she'll have such a good time because it's such yes. a good show. So he, uh, we found two separate um, newspaper online interviews. One was from uh, Tulsa World, and what mm-hmm. was the other one from The Pitch. And I don't even know Johnson County, and I don't know where that is. Somewhere in the United States, Johnson County. Hmm, yeah. Okay. And and what do they? What did he have to say to them? Well, um, the the. One for me that I really enjoyed was the one in Tulsa World. So he's going to Tulsa, Oklahoma. And uh, mm-hmm. it, it's a very good interview. You know, he covers all the typical topics that he, he always does in these types of interviews. And the questions are, are pretty standard. But this part is great. Um, the interviewer says, it's a shame that you only hosted Saturday Night Live once in 1986. Can we start a campaign to get you to host Saturday Night Live again? And this is Bill's answer. Oh, I remember reading <laughs> this. this. Is wonderful. <laughs> so yes. good. So, so Read it. Go this for is in it. the middle of like probably a 30-minute conversation. So he's already talked about Star Trek and stuff. So here he goes. I would love to host that show. I wish they would ask me. There are a lot of things I'm doing that are worthwhile enough to get me on the show. Like, auditioning. <laughs> And I know the guys, but they have never asked me. So, yes, I would certainly love to host that show, especially since Better Late Than Never, a show that I did last year, is coming back in the winter. And I've got books out there. And I made two movies this year. And I'm going to make another one right after the Kansas City Horse Show. So there are lots of things worthwhile pushing and getting the publicity when you host that show. But it's fun, too. (laughs) That is the shillingest shill of them all. Like that was all one sentence. I know crammed anything else into that. He must have had his little list in front of him just going Uh, down. Check, 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 check. Well, you know, the thing is, I mean, they could really, you know, have some fun having Bill on the show right now when Discovery is pretty hot, you know, and have um, Captain Kirk visit Discovery or whatever. Oh, yeah. Do some Boston legal. That's not too old to do. No, I mean, especially now when I think he's so much more comfortable with himself, you know, in that kind of an atmosphere. Mm -hmm. They could basically ask him to do anything and he would do it. But I just loved that, that burst of shilling where he got it all out there. <laughs> I made two movies this year and I'm going to make another one. And I'm, I'm writing a book show. and I'm writing a horse and, you know, and I'm writing the book while I'm writing the horse. <laughs> he probably is. <laughs> Excuse oh, that me. That was so funny. So anyway, that, yes. that was just awesome. Um, so let me, let me skip over to the other interview. I'm trying to remember if there was anything specific in here that was good. It, it was good. Um, he mentions that um, he, the interviewer says, uh, is there any particular take on your style that you've appreciated an impersonation that you found particularly entertaining? And he says, no, flummoxing, bewildering. Every so often I nudge my wife and say, are they doing me? 
I have no idea what they're talking about. I love the story about his daughters explaining to him, you know, yes, they are totally doing you. You talk like that. Um, He says some very nice things about his uh, past, like as an actor, the interviewer Mm -hmm. said, is there a past performance in which you take particular joy? Good question. And he says, my joy in writing or acting or directing comes from moments rather than the overall. If I can hit a moment, if I can get a descriptive paragraph out that captures the nuances of what I wish to convey, or if as an actor, I can convey the truthful moment, that is to me the success of that moment. Because you have to compromise so much in everything. If you can hit every so often an uncompromised moment, that is a victory to enjoy. Yes, indeed. Very, very good. I like that. Yes. um, here, here's a thing that he mentions briefly in an interview, and I saw him talking about this on Twitter when he wasn't fighting the, the holy shipping wars for Outlander, which he's still doing. Um, <laughs> uh, he was talking about Twitter and he's saying how weird it is that social media is everywhere and there's two and a half million people following you. So then he says, for reasons I don't have time to go into right now, I believe there is a wellspring, a huge tsunami of good feeling in social media against the ugliness we read so much about. I'm in the midst of trying to find a way of tapping that goodness so we, in small ways, help people that need help. Lunch money, a roof over their head, that sort of thing. I'm calling it the Ubuntu discovery. Ubuntu is a Zulu word meaning humanity. There is humanity in that social media audience that has yet to be tapped. Um, I have started that project even as we speak and they registered a domain for it and he got a Twitter handle and that's all I've heard about it. Hmm. So I don't know what it means, whether it's some kind of like crowdfunding, uh, you know, GoFundMe thing or right. just people asking for help and other people responding to them directly. I really, really don't know. It's a little unfortunate that they chose Ubuntu because that's the name of an operating system. Um, oh. And that's what you find. Yeah, that that's yeah. The, mm. you know, the Linux thing. So that's see, the first Bill. Thing you Bill think needs of. somebody who can research these things. Yeah. Um. So you know they've chosen <laughs> that name already, unfortunately. Uh. And uh, I don't know. So we'll see what this is. You know, of course, it's a new project for him. He started it. <laughs> He's a hundred percent on it. And I'm very curious what he thinks he can do. I mean, he does have an awful lot of people following him. So if he were mm-hmm. channeling that for good, that could be a pretty powerful thing. Yes. Yes. So, so more to come on that, I guess, is what I mean. Yes. We'll find out. Um, okay. The article I found, I just realized is about six months old, but Bill does. And the headline says, William Shatner wants to release a Christmas album this year. Mm-hmm. So, so, um, Let's see where the little quote go. When asked what business goals that he'd like to take on in the future, Shatner says, I'd like to be on The Voice and sing a song from my forthcoming Christmas album. <laughs> sing, that reminds sing me. Sing a song? Sing a yeah. song? Really? Yes. Okay. I, I haven't recorded the album yet. I must do that before I get old. <laughs> <laughs> now, who was, who was the celebrity I recently saw? And they were asking him, oh, it was somebody who's like on a hit show and asking him, did his children like it? And he said, no, they couldn't care less, but they adore better late than never. Oh, I wish I could think who it was, because that just cracked me up, you know, that they're they're very, very excited that that's coming back on. Wow. Well, so... I here here's the weird thing about the Christmas thing is that so you're saying this was from six months ago, right? Yeah, this from May. 
And then I saw something recently where he said he just laid down some tracks. Yeah, speak Ooh. that hip lingo, Bill. Yeah, I um, love when he talks like that. Lays down some tracks. And it was going to be released in 2018, which is a whole year away. Like, oh. really? That's the quickest? But the, the thing you read said it was this year. Yeah. I don't understand. Maybe he was misquoted or he misspoke or something. But you'd think, I mean, if he's talking about it now, it's two months till Christmas. There's time to put a, a record out. Well, yeah, but they usually record those like in June or something. But um, mm -hmm. I'm looking at the NBC page right now for Better Late Than Never because I had heard it was coming back like in January. Yeah. And it's still talking about last season. Huh. Well, they finished filming it for sure. And yeah. it's just all in the editing bay right now. So mm -hmm. I don't know. On Twitter, people keep asking him and he just goes, ask Jeff Dye about it. He's in charge. <laughs> sure. Thanks. Okay. Yeah, like he's Whatever. <laughs> anyway, well, I guess we'll find out about it soon enough. But um, that yes. will be interesting. I am very curious to see what his take on Christmas songs are going to be and whether there's an original Christmas song on there or whether it's all covers. Well, um, you know, I've heard, I have his recording of Good King Wenceslas. Uh-huh. I think you probably got that for me. He only does like yeah. two or three verses. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, we'll just have to have to see. Yeah, it, I guess it's when he chooses these unusual arrangements for some of these songs that mm -hmm. you're like, okay, what? Well, what's he gonna do for a Christmas song? Does that mean it's not gonna sound like a Christmas song? Or <laughs> like, I don't know. Who knows? Who knows? No one can tell. It's all up to Bill. <laughs> Well, let's jump in our celebrity wayback machine and go to the 70s and talk about celebrity bowling. Oh, please. I love celebrity bowling. I saw this article when I was just like surfing and I went, oh my God, I have to read this. And of course they did mention Bill and show his horrible shirt and everything. But this article is so funny. It, it's like wall to wall snark. And it says... <laughs> It is a half-hour sports and then question mark show <laughs> that ran in syndication from 71 to 78. But one of the interesting things this article points out is it hates celebrities. <laughs> <laughs> and the celebrities are unmiked. So only this person who's on like right. the God mic whispering. Right, right. Like um, it's a golf game. Yeah, is, um, is whispering that this person is a fine athlete <laughs> and an even finer person. <laughs> and here it is. But part of the show's can't look awayness comes from the fact that it's a half hour of celebrity fun that hates celebrities. <laughs> so, you know, it, it talks about the other shows that were on at the time. And they did theme ones with the Brady Bunch and Bob Newhart was on, who apparently is quite a good bowler. And, um, we're just going to put up the link to this article because even though the mention of Bill is rather short, there's also Alex Trebek uh, bowling, and this is uh, pre-Jeopardy. Wow. What yeah. pre-Jeopardy? Well, he was probably uh, game show hosting something else. Was he? I don't even know. It's like Alex Trebek and, and Jeopardy are so intertwined in my mind. Oh, I know. He didn't, he didn't exist before that. He, he just was created in order to host Jeopardy. <laughs> They got him. Uh, they got him out of the box and and put him together. Yeah. And um. Anyway, uh, I believe all of these, maybe not all of them, but certain celebrity bowling episodes are available, probably on Netflix, Amazon Prime, somewhere, so you can go watch them. But we're just gonna put this link up because 
it's just so funny. And it's such a wonderful description of what I am assuming is, 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 is very accurate depiction of celebrity bowling just from having seen the Bill episode. Uh-huh. Yep. I remember when it was on and, and watching it and what a strange, strange concept. Isn't it amazing that they were able to get these people to be on this show? Well, you know, 70s, for Bill at least, was, yeah, I'll take it. And what was, here's some other people, Rue McClanahan doing, but, you know, Bob Newhart, either his Bob Newhart show was running. Yes. Yeah, a hit show, so maybe he was promoting it, but um, maybe he just likes to bowl and thought, okay, this will be fun to bowl on camera or whatever. But they also have Charles Nelson Riley. Of course. <laughs> Well, he was on everything. He, he I know, was one but, of those people. He would go to the opening of an envelope, right? That's right. <laughs> that's true. But why would you have Charles Nelson Riley on if you aren't going to mic him? Who knows? Who knows? It's such a weird concept. And and as we were talking <laughs> about when we discussed the, the show, I mean, mm -hmm. it's in this cavernous hall where there's this one bowling lane that's installed and people are sitting on like these horrible plastic chairs that they stole out of some cafeteria mm -hmm. you know and it's all dark in the background and you can't see anything and there's the host who's whispering into the microphone it's just the whole concept is very strange very yes strange. yes now um, in the article there is a still picture of bill bowling but what intrigues me is the girl behind him rolling her eyes <laughs> Yes. <laughs> is. is that one of his daughters, do you think? That's what I was trying to figure out. It's not a good enough shot to tell. Oh, I'd have to go back because we did notice that um, I think two of the daughters were there when we watched it. I'd have to go mm, back and look at it again okay. to see if that's one of them. But, yep, that's some shirt he's got on there. Yeah. And yes, Bill is a terrible bowler. This is true. This is true. But the thing is, in the 70s, as you said, Bill was everywhere. You know, on all the game shows and, you know, guest, guest spots on Columbo and Hawaii Five O, and, you know, just out there doing what he could to collect a paycheck. So, yep, yep, yep. So there's that. And giving 110%, of course. Of course, of course. Even and bowling bad. badly, the only and sport we have ever seen him not do well at yeah well i it just wasn't a thing i mean i maybe you know to be good at bowling i think is like something that you did when you were growing up either with your family or you know part of school or something like that and if you learn it as an adult unless you have a real passion for it you're probably not going to be very good and maybe that just wasn't part of bill's deal well you know um briefly between the time i graduated from college and the time i um moved to New York and was, you know, being a normal person, working a job and everything, I was on a bowling league. Mm -hmm. And I was the worst bowler on the worst team <laughs> in the beginner's league and, um, and did it for two seasons. And the second season, I mean, I was so bad, I couldn't even get most improved. But the second season for like maybe the first five games when they're setting your averages and all this stuff... I was bowling strike after strike Ooh, for some wonderful. strange reason. And then like after fifth or sixth game, my game totally reverted to the crap it had been. <laughs> and so the whole rest of the season, we spent uh, fighting my average. <laughs> <laughs> 
And finally, towards the end of the season, one of the people on my team, there were five of us, said, you know, I'd be happy to get together once a week with the rest of you and drink, but I don't want to throw that damn ball anywhere anymore. <laughs> so that that was the end of the, the whole bowling thing, and that's just as well. Oh. I love bowling. Bowling's so much fun. It, 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 it's such a strange, weird sport, but anyway. It is you know. a weird sport, but the, the social aspect of it is definitely the funnest part of it. Yeah, well, you know. well, that's it. And, you know, I was, like I said, I was just out of college, so I was on a team with four other women right around that age, and most of the women in this league were right around that age, and so, so many of them just kept getting pregnant. <laughs> and at one point, uh-huh. one of the women in our league was pregnant. She goes, well... <laughs> Bowling's no fun if you're not drinking and smoking. <laughs> this is true. Uh, there's, whenever I go on vacation occasionally to Lake Tahoe, uh, there's a great little bowling alley in South Lake Tahoe called Tahoe Bowl. And it is one of my favorite places <laughs> because it's teeny weeny. They have a pizza place that's right there. Of course, there's a bar. And the people who work there are all total stoners. Uh-huh. So they're super nice and super mellow, and the music that's playing is always like in that Pink Floyd groove. Uh-huh. And it's, it's just such a great place to go and <laughs> chill out. And you know, it's the south part of the lake, so it's not the rich people in the north part of right. the lake. And right. I, I like South Lake there. Tahoe. Yeah, oh, it's great. It's so much fun. Yeah. Anyway. Well, anyway, so that's sometime. bowling. <laughs> okay. So coming back, um, a little sci-fi book review. Yes, please. Okay. Um, This is a book that uh, I I read a little blurb on, and I thought, you know, that sounds interesting. And so I read it, got it from the library. It's called The Fold, Mm -hmm. and it is by Peter Klein, C-L-I-N-E-S. And if you are halfway through it or planning to read this book, I want you to maybe fast forward about five minutes (laughs) because there will be spoilers because the only way I can make my point is with spoilers. Okay. Okay, so this is one of those books where these scientists out in the desert have discovered what they think is a way to, like, you know, fold the universe so you can just step over three million miles. Okay. okay? Kind of like a Stargate uh-huh. or a Tesseract. Okay, uh-huh. good. So this guy, um, you know, it's government funded, but they won't tell anybody anything. So this guy is sent out there who's really smart so he can figure out what's going on. And it turns out that they've actually done something quite different, but they don't realize it. And I'll get to that in a minute. But, you know, they're all geeks, blah, blah, blah. And um, But I, I, I was giving them points. And one, one of the points they earned was, yes, one of them was a Star Trek geek. And it was a woman. Oh, good. Nice. And I thought, well, good for you. Even better point, it turned out to be a plot point. <laughs> good. And I thought, this is great because, you know, she's beautiful, of course, and they get involved. And she tells him that when she was a child, she had a cat and she named him Spock. All right. And I'm, and at, by that point, I'm going, okay, I knew you were going to get involved because you're both good looking. And I'm, yeah, I got it. You're a Star Trek geek. Do you have any other qualities? But then it, a little while later, it reared up and smashed its ugly head at me. Um, when you in what they're seeing is when you step across they've got like the other end of the stargate for lack of a better term set up in another building and you come out in the other building right mm-hmm. and they've got this all on monitors so they see you come out and then you come back well and here's where the big spoiler comes well what they eventually discover is technically you have stepped into 
an alternate universe and sort of like a giant croquet game, push the other person out into ours. But okay. the differences are so subtle, they aren't really picking up on the fact that every single one of them has changed a little bit several mm. times as they've all gone through this. Well, yeah. at one point, he notices something physical about her that's different. And he starts to suspect things. And he says something about your cat named Spock. And she goes, Spock? Why would I name my cat after a baby doctor? And he's like, no, no, from Star Trek. And she goes, Star Trek? Why would I name my cat after this show that failed? And he says, what was your cat name? This is where I loved it. The cat's name was Isis. After the fantastically popular Assignment Earth uh, series <laughs> that oh, ran a, for seven years. That's a deep cut. Wow. That's really good. I like uh, that a lot. Uh, that is really good. And at the end, at the author's notes, I'm reading this. He's saying, I was so proud of myself <laughs> when I thought of that. I thought, well, yeah. Then he found out that that whole idea was actually explored somewhere in one of the Star Trek novels. Oh, well, of course it would be. Yeah, of course. Yeah, there's nothing new under the Star Trek universe. But anyway, the interesting thing about the book, and I've just given you a major spoiler. There's mm -hmm. an even major spoiler coming on where it almost turns into a Stephen King-like thing. Oh, my God. <laughs> so this is like a multi-genre book. And it's one of those books, you got to read it fast. Oh. Don't stop and think. And luckily it <laughs> lends itself to that because an awful lot of it is um, – is conversations, not necessarily descriptions. Okay. And I always find that, for me at least, is very fast reading. But I, w I was really going, okay, this guy has done his work, and he's being clever about it. And he was. Oh, that's great. Wow, he that sounds really was. good. Yeah. So cool. uh, I just wanted to, to share that with everyone that, you know, so many books you read, or I read anyway, and I read a lot of mysteries and things, but if they're set in our contemporary times, it's not unusual for someone to reference Star Trek because it's so much a part of yeah. our, I don't know, our culture, our pop culture. It is. I mean, I don't see how you could not reference it if it's got something to do with science fiction or aliens or whatever. I mean, mm -hmm. it's, it's the, mm -hmm. the, the quickest, most available shortcut or touchstone that people have is to just invoke Star Trek. Actually, yes, that is so true. And so, you know, the first time it came up, I was like, oh, is, isn't that nice that it's a woman, you know? Yeah. And she's an attractive woman. But then, you know, like you said, that's a really deep cut. I went, that really is. That mm -hmm. really is. And that that episode, Assignment Earth, was done with the idea of being a spinoff. Right, right, yeah. And, you know, she even says, oh, yeah, I forgot that that originally came out of that <laughs> show, you know? <laughs> wow. Oh, cool. Well, that sounds like a, a good book. How nice. Well, like I said, it gets really weird. I'm, you know, I was kind of like rolling my eyes mm -hmm. going, okay, I will accept that, I guess, just to get to the end of this, you know, take some very strange turns. But um, and that was fun. That was yeah. fun to see somebody use Star Trek and use it in a, in a clever way. Yeah, that's great. I, that's so much better than the way it, it does get referenced sometimes just, you know, as a throwaway or as a joke or, or something. Um, but to actually go deeper and do right. a twist on it like that, that's great. That's wonderful. That's well, very clever. And, and the other thing about it being referenced is a lot of times it's referenced wrong yes. or inappropriately. It's more referencing what the myth of Star Trek has become and not what actually happened on the show. 
Right. You know, so this person obviously knew his stuff, Peter Kleins, and uh, he wrote a fun book. And, you know, it's one of those books, I'm reading it, I'm going, this is going to be a movie. You know, it's (laughs) it's almost like written to be a movie. But Mm -hmm. um, I think they're going to cut pretty fast to the Stephen King sort of part. But um, anyway, so be on the lookout for that to be in a movie theater in a year and a half or so next summer, maybe. (laughs) Um, It's called The Fold. The fold, cool. Yes, um, cool. Well, thank you for that. I will say, in in the reading department, um, because it was Halloween recently, I read uh, Shirley Jackson's novella that's called The Haunting of Hill House. Do you know um, I have never read that? It's pretty scary. Uh, I, I have heard that. that. Yeah, it's a pretty freaking creepy story, and mm-hmm. uh, hardly anything happens in it, which is great. You know, mm-hmm. it's meant to convey this uh, feeling of being trapped in this insane house, and uh, it's really good. So I'd never read it before either, and I just thought I'm going to read this thing, and I found mm-hmm. the copy. And so, if anybody out there likes um, scary stories, creepy scary stories with no, there's no blood, there's no gore, there's no mm-hmm. people getting chainsawed or anything like that. It's completely an atmospheric, unexplained, mysterious, you know, things go bump in the night and terrify you kind of story. Yeah. And she's a wonderful writer, so it's, it's you know, exquisitely written also. You can really right. enjoy the prose. Probably if, if you are of a certain age and grew up in the, went through the American public schools, you probably read The Lottery at yes. one point, which is her most famous work. And that yeah. is... Also terrifying. Also terrifying, yeah. So, yes. Uh, anyway, I just wanted to say that because I just read it and I was like, mm-hmm. oh, that's it's really good. Okay. Speaking okay. of writing, um, the next thing I'd like to do is to read a v- quite longish comment, which I think um, is good to read the whole thing from one of our listeners, from uh, Captain Toy, who's been a listener forever and ever. I think um, she listened to the first show, probably. Uh, she probably did, and <laughs> also had asked me to put episodes up on SoundCloud, and I did put at least one up there. Uh, unfortunately, with SoundCloud, you have to pay once you start uploading past a certain amount. Oh. So, um, we don't really have the budget to do that, so I don't know. I, I will do it as as I can. But... Well, didn't SoundCloud just get bought by somebody or something? Yeah, they did, and I think that's when they started charging. Oh, so you okay. Upload things, unfortunately. Yeah, so All I'm right, sorry. well, read us a longish comment. Yeah, so this was about fan fiction. Uh, so she said, I finally got a chance to listen to your latest podcast. Now I want to turn in some homework, so go <laughs> Yay! It's interesting what you said about fanfiction. I am an avid fanfic writer now, and I have to say I'm a bit hesitant to mention that. There is still a fair amount of stigma about writing these things. People, for some reason, expect them to be better than professional works, all while not having the budget, resources, editors, and time that a professional writer would have. One of the favorite things that some readers like to do is to point this out in the nastiest way. Like Mm. this very real comment that I got on a story, quote, I notice some sentences omit the subjects while the verbs and the rest are normal. Are these typos or are they some new fashion of English? Unquote. She goes on to say, that's constructive, really constructive. Thanks for your time and energy. I will totally take it into consideration. Uh, hating on fan fiction is a real thing. Even those who love fan fiction and read it avidly seems seem to take it to take, seem to hate it as well. Hell, I remember years ago when I wrote those crappy endings to those awful unfinished Star Trek fanfics. Now, sure, they were awful and unfinished, but did they deserve that treatment? Did the authors truly deserve that kind of hate? Was it hate? I'm not sure anymore. I mean, originally I wrote it to have a little fun, possibly make fun of those that 
those writers, but what, is that the right thing to do? I'm not so sure. Comedy often toes the line between awesome and bad taste. It is so easy to fall right into the, the manure. I wonder if that's really what I did all those years ago. The irony is that what got me into fan fiction in the first place. I read and write fan fiction constantly. I love it so much. I even started editing at work and telling my coworkers what I was doing. Um, it's incredibly important to me. I've even toyed with the idea of having either a YouTube channel dedicated to fan fiction or a podcast. However, that's never gotten past the conceptual stage. I just don't know how I would be able to make it accessible. For instance, let's say I review a Star Trek fanfic. However, you are not a Star Trek fan. How do I make it relatable to you? It is one of the shortcomings of fan fiction. A great work can be absolute garbage if you don't know the source material. So true. I really don't want to hear about how much Harry loves Hermione. I just don't care. Um, I think there should be more positive talk about fan fiction. Even if you don't give a damn about Harry Potter, it is a true expression of love. Just steal an idea from Trekkies, you are actively participating in the experience, creating something new and exciting along the way, even if that thing is not perfect. Nothing really is, not even professional works. So why the awful stigma? Why is it mocked so much, even by us, the fan fiction writers? That's a good question, and I'm not sure I have the answer. It's interesting, your idea that it is because fan fiction is primarily written by women for women and often deals with icky, boring stuff like relationships. Who wants to read about that? Oh, wait, like half the population. It's unacceptable for women to ruin the carefully curated world that men know so well. It has to be mocked. That, they can't be true fans if they are expressing it in a different way. That's just weird. Like dressing up in a Klingon outfit is normal. All fans are weird. There shouldn't be a problem with that. But there is. But there is, yeah. You're yes. totally right that there is a huge gender bias on fan fiction, as there is with science fiction as a whole. It's not masculine enough, therefore it's crap. If a good piece exists, there would be it would be written by a male writer, which is also absolute crap. Some of the best work is done by women. It's time we acknowledge that. We have worth. Our work is worthy of praise. We should not judge ourselves so harshly. I could go on and on about fan fiction, just like I could go on and on about science fiction. I feel it needs more love. It needs to be respected, even if it is not something that you like. It has worth, just like the women who write it. Well, bravo, Captain Toy. Yeah, I, This is not a video stuff. podcast, but I was nodding my head through that whole thing. That that was very insightful and very, very well well said. Yeah, and, you know, it got me thinking about... You know, we've made fun of fan fiction, yes. and I feel like we've been um, selective. I hope we've been selective and, and really only made fun of the stuff that was, um, you know, really just so far out there. Like, of course, our favorite, Andrew Troy Keller, <laughs> who just wrote things that made no sense whatsoever. And it was not being picky about grammar or spelling. It was just like, what is this even? Mm -hmm. I can't wrap my mind around it. Or things that, you know, were so schlocky, like the the Spock and his Christmas elf and, guys and, and all and, the rest of it. And um, Legolas on the beach in Hawaii. Yeah, things that just <laughs> were, were so far out there that mm -hmm. they just didn't make any sense. But I do remember... When that there used to be a site, right, called God Awful Fan Fiction, where they would yes. post and, and take apart things. And I think even then I felt like that was too cruel because people, you know, people write fan fiction because they love it. They're not getting paid for it. They're just yeah. doing it for their own amusement and for their friends and maybe to, you know, try to get a little praise for themselves. And, and to share. That's a big part of it is inviting others into your world, I yeah. think. 
yeah so you can't hold it up to the same standards as you do published authors you just mm-hmm. it's it's not the same kind of comparison so I, 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 you know, I too have mixed feelings about fan fiction because on the one hand, I have read so much of it that's amazing and wonderful and, and know some excellent writers like you and, and other folks that we met, people that I've never met who I've mm-hmm. read, There's, you know, a couple of Doctor Who fan fiction writers who I just love their work. It's so good. And then on the other hand, you know, I've read a ton of stuff that I hated because it was just not very good. Yeah. Yeah. So I, you know, I... I don't know how to convince the great public out there who maybe have only ever been exposed to stuff that people have made fun of, you know, how do you, how do you go to them and go, you know what, there's a lot of really good fan fiction out there. Do you have to kind of feed it to them in little bits to get them to see the worth of it? I don't know that they even want to know about that because mm-hmm. I think fan fiction, the writing, the reading and, and everything, but the whole, um, underlying strength and cruelty of it is the community Mm -hmm. and unless you go into the community and not just observe not just lurk but participate I think you don't really understand what's going on there and and the fan fiction community can be incredibly beautiful rewarding supporting and they can also be awful uh-huh. And it can be it, it can be really difficult because um, if somebody has read one of your stories and really you know praised it or, or said I like this your insight here this was great you really want to reciprocate or at least I always did and I think most of us did as so you go read something of theirs and it's like oh God what do I say you know uh-huh. it, because it's not the relationship of a professional writer and her audience or her publisher these are are two people in an amateur community and I use amateur the word with great respect because you do it out of love that's what amateur means Mm -hmm. and so you're always walking this tightrope of do I want to get better at this do I do other people want to get better at this? Do I just want to put my stories out there and have somebody say, yeah, this made me cry or whatever. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think we all have such a huge number of reasons for doing those things. Yeah, that's right. That not everybody has the same reason and that's fine. We mm-hmm. don't all have to have the same reason and it doesn't, I guess that's, that's the, the two sides of, of the fan fiction, right? That there's always going to be some fan fiction that's really good, that people mm-hmm. are near a professional level, or maybe they are. Like I was reading recently that there are some people who are professional published writers, especially mm-hmm. in science fiction, who continue to write fan fiction under yes. their, their fanfic names. It's like, really? Oh, okay. Well, you yeah. Have a lot of energy. <laughs> um, I was just reading something about NaNoWriMo, if that's how you say yeah. it. And uh-huh. it was saying, you know, some published books, bestsellers, came out of that and they were originally based on fan fiction they were naming these books and the writers I went yeah yeah I I read that book or I've heard of that book you know so it's not I mean yeah it can be a stepping stone to that but I think for most people that is not the reason they're writing fan fiction yeah yeah they don't want to be the published author they just want to to write this thing and get it out there and as like you were saying be part of that community it's their contribution to the community and play in that world yeah, you know, and 
and, and I totally feel that way about some of the things. I mean, I have written certain stories to please you. Like, like they were... <laughs> yes, I know. And I've written stories to please you and, yeah. and to please other people who were, you know, especially close to me in the community. Yeah. And that, and that was all I ever wanted to do. It was like, I never, the, the fact that I could write something that made you laugh or go, hey, that's a good story. Like that was enough. I didn't oh, need yeah. any more than that, you know? Yeah. So it's just very interesting. And yeah, I, I agree with Captain Toy that fan fiction shouldn't be given the shit that it's given. It's Yeah. It's, it's hard enough when it is given that within the community because there, because this is your baby, and you know these people, and they know you, it's incredibly personal. Mm -hmm. And then to have the outside world, who I think really don't understand what's going on there, because there is so much going on, so many levels, so many different egos, some fragile, some very strong, mm -hmm. and it's... It, it, anybody who tries to analyze fan fiction they're in over their head already <laughs> yeah, it's true. because you and I lived in that world for quite a few years and yeah. I would not attempt to say, okay, here's what's going on. I could tell you some of the things I was part of or I observed, but that that's not the mm -hmm. totality of it. Yeah. It strikes me as we're talking about this. One other thing about fan fiction um, that is very different from published fiction is that most 99% of public published fiction goes through levels and layers, right? So you're an author, you write a book, your agent reads it, your agent sends it to an editor, the editor reads it, they make comments or whatever, a copy mm -hmm. editor reads it. Like other people read it and it goes through changes that aren't just from you until it finally mm -hmm. reaches the marketplace in some form or another. And maybe mm -hmm. that final thing that got published isn't actually that close to your original thing you know, for, for reasons, but with fan fiction, it, there's no barrier, right? It goes mm -hmm. straight from sort of your pen to the eyes of the people that are reading it. And there's nothing in between. And that's part of why it's so personal is because there's no buffer. Yes. At all. Very true. And you know what else, what's one of the good things about that? I mean, like most people have a beta reader or two, maybe that's gone out of style. I don't know, but I did. Um, and maybe it's because professional, you know, actual published things go through all these layers. Um, some of the dynamic gets sucked out of it, I think. Just like, you know, movies going through their focus groups. I, there have been fan fictions that have stunned me. Mm -hmm. um, you know, just made me gasp or go, oh, my God, of, of course. You know, I never thought of that. Um, because... This is this is this author's heart or brilliant idea or whatever. And nobody has said, you can't do that. You can't reveal that James mm -hmm. Bond is a woman. Why the hell not? You know, whatever yeah. it is. And, you know, some and that's part of why fan fiction world gets so ugly, too, because some of it will make you angry. You yep. know, if your if your heart and mind are all wrapped up in a particular character and somebody takes them off and oh, does God knows what. It, it can make you angry. And again, it's as personal to the readers as it is to the writers. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I feel like there's this, um, you're talking about the tightrope before, but it's, mm -hmm. it's the tightrope that's between um, everybody gets to have their own canon, right? Like as yes. soon as you write a fan fiction, you've invented your own canon. Yep. And 
the bigger desire to share canon with everyone. So, you know, there's this kind of sneaky thing where as you're writing a story, you're creating some new canon and you secretly want everyone to believe in yours as the right mm-hmm. one. Yes. And then, you know, it's like, well, mine is better than yours. My canon is better than yours. And therefore <laughs> we should all believe mine and not believe yours because I, because mine's good. <laughs> like, yeah. And, and yours is stupid and doesn't make sense. And uh, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. It, it and, is a, it is a strange place and it takes a certain amount of uh, strength of character. And I completely understand the people who go, okay, I got to take a break for a month or so yeah, and not do yeah. this. It's very intense. At so. the time it was as addictive as people now say like Facebook and Twitter is and oh, those don't totally. even have a narrative <laughs> totally totally yeah oh interesting oh. well that was a really good comment i'm, I'm glad that uh, you sent it in captain toy because yes, it's stuff you. that we think about a lot and you know we're always drawing on our experiences and it's you know we, we neither of us have been really in the fanfic world for a long long time and mm-hmm. I wonder if, you know, there, there's that much different from when we were doing it aside from uh, the channels, which are, you know, not Usenet groups anymore. Right. Everything right. is available in other ways. But yeah, great homework, Captain Toy. Um, yes. A plus, you. gold star. <laughs> Wonderful to fun. hear from you again. Yes. Yes. So listen, we've been talking for quite a while, and we've got some episodes of Discovery to talk about. Yes. Why don't we take a short break? Let's do that. Okay, short break. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Its five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. Listeners, we would love to hear from you. Send us email at lookathisbutt at gmail.com or look us up on Facebook and leave us a comment. Tell us your Trek news. All right, so Discovery. Discovery is the new Star Trek series, in case you hadn't been following along at home. Um, we <laughs> hope that you've been watching it, because it is pretty darn good. And I have to say, when I sit down to watch Discovery, it's kind of unreal. And I go, I'm watching a new Star Trek series. Yes. Oh, my God, this is awesome. <laughs> it's just such a such a joy every time to think, I'm watching a new Star Trek series. This is great. This is perfect. We did not set this up, but you are leading right into a comment we got from one of our listeners. Oh, good, good. Because I feel um, the same way you do. Yeah. Um, so I will um, also say my my one gripe going through this and i know that this is going to get resolved at some point is the very same thing so i uh, my brother the the star trek fan i was talking to him about it he's been oh, watching cool. it too and he goes listen i don't understand how they're going to get to tos from here and i was like yes yes i still okay. don't understand how they're going to get to tos from here um the way it's looking to me now and i think mm-hmm. this is what other people have been thinking is that they're building up to something right like yes. something is going to happen Either it's going to be a reveal or there's going to be some weird timey-wimey stuff that happens or, you know, what? The TARDIS is going to explode and reset the universe and that's how we're going to get to <laughs> <The> TOS. <laughs> okay. 
Um, right? We are going to get to discussing that, but I want to read this comment because you were okay. just talking about how exciting it is. Sit down and go, this is new Star Trek. I don't know what's going to happen. Yes. This came from longtime user and friend, Amanda. And she says, anyway, so glad you are both so excited about Discovery as I am. I'm liking it more after each episode. After the first episode, I had tears in my eyes because there's a new Star Trek. And I liked it, which I haven't experienced since TNG. And also, for the first time in Star Trek... There was a female character I wanted to be. Michael Mm. Burnham is awesome. Uh Personally, I'm not hung up on things not lining up with TOC. TOS. Yeah. (laughs) Typo. (laughs) I guess I think of it as if TOS had been filmed with today's budget and special effects, they would have done it like this. Um, although Sarek is hard for me to swallow, I just can't picture this Sarek in any scenes that Mark Leonard performed. I think I would like it better if no TOS characters were portrayed. I'm very much looking forward to your thoughts on Mud. Well, there's my two cents. As always, thanks for the show and looking forward to the next one. I think uh, Amanda summed up a lot of my feelings there. Mm-hmm. You know, it yep. yeah. it is, as you said, as she said, so amazing and wonderful wonderful to be looking forward to this mm-hmm. going what is happening next and i agree with her on sarah and i think she put it really well can you imagine this sarah in any of those scenes and the answer for me is yeah not really no not really no no and I don't, um I don't think so and i think it you know i understand the idea of wanting to have some touchstones with tos but since in other instances, they're they're using it in ways that are jarring to some of us fanatics, such as the appearance of tribbles and things. I think they could might have been able to do it without the characters. But anyway, so thank yeah. you for that, Amanda. That was a beautiful summary of how how we feel, you feel, and and we feel, and yeah. from what we're seeing, you know, of other people and articles that are posted online. People are pretty yes. excited about what's going on there. Oh, I think so. I, I think everybody, oh, well, I don't know. I haven't been reading very much about it because I don't want to spoil it. And I feel like I want to come up with my own theories about things mm-hmm. without being too overly influenced by other people. Yeah, and, I'm trying to avoid fan theories. Yes. But after an episode, I will read like some of the critiques and stuff can be very interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I feel like for the most part, it's it's a very smooth ride and some mm-hmm. of the things are just kind of bumps in the road that are a little jarring and as always with television there's going to be stuff that they do for convenience sake that makes the plot move along faster and if you stop and think about it too much you're like wait a minute that doesn't actually make any sense but mm-hmm. you got to go with it right because it's it's episodic television and that's the way it works you can't yeah. have everything perfectly explained all the time so uh, we can go, I really actually want to spend more time talking about the one we just watched, which was episode seven with the time loop and Harry Mudd. Yes, yes. Than, than anything else. So, me too, because that's, um, well, that's freshest in my mind. Yeah, me too. And also, you know, um, the things in the previous two episodes were interesting. Um, the idea of Lorca being captured and then fighting his way out and meeting Harry Mudd for the first time was, was cool. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like 
this is the same Harry Mudd that we met in TOS. Yeah, um, I'm having very mixed feelings, more mixed after this most recent episode about Harry Mudd. Um, yes, Harry Mudd is a scoundrel yes. and, you know, out for what he can make, you know, money and, you know, scam you out of your money. But in TOS, he's like a lovable scoundrel, you know, he that's is. why we wanted him back. And this guy is, um, you know, edging on evil, of course. Nobody's going to out-evil Lorca at this point. Yeah, this is true. Well, I, I felt like the, the one of the most salient features of Harry Mudd in TOS was that he was a con man and all of those things and a liar, but he was also a coward at heart. Yes! He was absolutely a coward. Like, he was totally prepared to leave the Enterprise crew down on the planet of the androids, mm-hmm. but he would never have killed them. Like... Yeah, It would have been so much more convenient for him to kill them, but he wouldn't do that. He would strand them and know that they would live and, uh-huh. you know, that there was yeah. food and everything, but he would not straight up kill people. That's not what was his character was about. Well, and in the time loop episode, he was, there were several instances of him being, straying into what to me was Q tat- territory. Yes, he definitely. even called Lorca Mon Capitan. Yes, yes, he did. And he was—he was like an evil genius. He knew how to work everything except this one thing, you know. Yeah, yeah. And that—that and that w- that didn't. I mean, I love Rain Wilson. I think this is a really interesting character they're introducing, but it doesn't feel like mud. It feels like a really interesting new character and not yes. Harry Mudd. Yeah. And that's yes. like, I'm cool with that if he's a new character. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it was just, it was kind of jarring to see what he developed into. Um, so the new guy, uh, Ashley, is that his name? Tyler? It's I can't a, remember. T- I think which it's is, Ash, like Ash yeah. Tyler or Tyler Ash. Ash. <laughs> see, that's the like thing. That. His, yeah. His first name and his last name are the same to me. So mm-hmm. it's like new guy that's Uh who you are who's suddenly chief of security he's very interesting and uh i i did see some theories about him potentially not being who he says he is yeah that that's been a theory that's been hard to avoid yeah um he's been around he's been in that prison for a long time somehow he managed to survive still looking pretty handsome and (laughs) you know okay maybe he Mm -hmm. isn't who he says he is uh so that's fine. I can accept that. It was a little weird that they were able to escape so easily. Um, I didn't think it was that easy to punch Klingons and break their necks as a human. Mm-hmm. You know, they seem, Klingons seem a little tougher than that, but all right, you know. Well, you know, you that's it, kind <laughs> of a, a thing you'll see in movies. Like you'll see people just go through incredible stuff and finally they've gotten out of it and they go, this isn't right. That was too easy. And it turns yeah. out they were let go for a reason. Yeah. And it could still come up where, you know, this is revealed and Lorca goes, yeah, I thought that was too easy or something, you know. Yeah. So who knows? We'll we'll, we'll find out about that, I guess. Um, so I, I want to mention one thing that is kind of bugging me in, in okay. the larger picture of this is that um, they don't use their scanners nearly often enough. And this is really oh, annoying to me. Okay. So in, when they go to, in that episode where he gets captured, they, they go to this, um, ship that they're, you know, supposed to be investigating. And suddenly all these Klingons like pop out of the woodwork. Why did their scanners not pick them up? 
why did nobody have a tricorder and say, oh my God, there's life signs all around us. We're about to be mm-hmm. attacked by Klingons. Why, when when Lorca was piloting that little fighter ship back to Discovery, mm-hmm. and Saru was standing there looking at that going, this is weird. There's something off about this. Why didn't they just scan the ships? Yeah. <laughs> Like and then they would have known that there were two mm-hmm. humans in that, or like that kind of stuff. I can see if it's a plot convenience, and if they had simply explained it away with a line of dialogue saying our scanners can't reach that far, like whatever. I don't know. Just yeah, tell me why you can't mm-hmm. use your scanners to do this. Um, and this is also my criticism of the, uh, you know, Ash not being who he says he is. If he's really an alien, like a not human. Why are the bioscanners not picking that up? Yes. Yeah. Because they would. They absolutely would. Would they? If you, if you were like a shapeshifter, like let's say on the level that – um, Odo uh, was? That, well, I don't know what level he was at. But I'm thinking <laughs> about um, the, the captain in uh, Whom Gods Destroy. Oh, you know, does it just change yeah. your, are you a shapeshifter, change my appearance, or are you a shapeshifter, change completely genetically? Yeah, interesting. Okay. I don't think I'll that's give, ever I'll, been established, has it? I'll give you that one. So if he's a shapeshifter on that level, then yes, the scanners would pick him up. But people have been saying, oh, he's a Vulcan in disguise, or he's somebody else in disguise. And it's like, okay, there's no way that you could change somebody that much and not have your bio scanners pick that up. Mm-hmm. I just yeah. can't accept yeah. that. So I wish that they would have just thrown in a little dialogue to explain these things. I don't right. Know. Um, well, the thing that, you know, just in an overall thing, I'm going to repeat something I said probably a couple episodes ago, but they're still doing it. I'm still thinking not a really good decision, which is um, it's sort of a hybrid for me. Yes, they are boldly going where Star Trek has hardly ever gone before in exploring this history, this very dark side, perhaps, of mm-hmm. Starfleet, the Federation. But it's also very fanficy, And I can do without the shirts that say disco, and I can <laughs> do without the disco music. I will accept that they do have a party, because uh-huh. that seems to me a very natural part of ship life. You know, and there are mentions of parties, and we, we've seen them, you know, so that, but every time something like that shows up, I get this little uh, if, fanfic feeling, you know, that I'm watching a really high quality, well-produced fan, <laughs> fan film. And the more references they do to 20th and 21st century things, like people are still loving our music and, yeah. you know, quoting our books and stuff. Um that's one of the things TOS really didn't do. Like if, if Kirk or somebody quoted a book, it was a book that's a recognized classic from 100 or 200 years before us. A that's book that right. you can assume is going to live yeah. because I, it has proven itself. You know, I was wondering about the music myself. I was like, yes. oh, couldn't they have like just done something a little bit different or said, you know, um, it's a it's a retro party or you know, yeah. Know, yeah, something to, to cushion it a little bit. But exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I have and, a and, big question that has not been answered. And I yeah. don't know if it's even a legitimate question. But when, um, oh, I'm blanking on his name, the redheaded guy who's the engineer. Um, Stamets. Yeah. Stamets, thank you. When he more or less became the new tardigrade, which I thought was a, <laughs> a great thing. Oh, yeah. And his whole personality changed, and I love uh-huh. him now. 
is that going to turn out to be not such a good thing? And why did his whole personality change? Yeah, um, we were observing here, watching it in my household, that he turned into Adam Savage from Mythbusters, which... Uh... <laughs> okay, I like him a lot. Um, yeah. I like that actor. I've seen him in other things. Yeah, and I'm he's glad he's cute. not just a, a, a growly, angry bastard anymore. Yeah. But I'm wondering... So... Is that going yeah. somewhere or is that this is who he is now? Okay. I don't know. Well, see, there was that shot right at the end of that episode where he yes. turned and walked away and there was his reflection still in the bathroom mirror mm-hmm. kind of smirking at himself. So I, I don't know what that means. That was, yeah. that was spooky and weird and cool and, you know, great. Well, maybe <laughs> like, it's like that book I read. He bumped something happened yeah. to bump grumpy Stamets into the mirror yeah. And Happy Stamets is now running the ship. Yeah. Well, I like him so much better now. And I it's clear too. why they were making him so unlikable in the beginning. Mm-hmm. It was that. So when he does this 180, you're like, oh, he's so cool now. It's so funny. Uh, yes. Yes. Oh, he's such a good actor, that guy. He um, is. Yeah. He is. So um, there was that episode. Then there was the next episode that was all about uh, Sarek and fighting in his mind and all that. And um the, the the thing I just wanted to mention, I'm sure everybody knows this, but the, the dude who blew himself up, the mm-hmm. uh, logic extremist, which is a hilarious phrase, no matter how you look at it. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, you know, the, I could see where they got that from because um, those that group was mentioned, right, in, mm-hmm. um, in TNG, that there was this group of isolationists mm-hmm. later on who didn't want to interact with worlds and wanted to kind of cut off Vulcan from everybody because they felt like all these aliens, they were infecting Vulcan culture. So, you know, that I believe that they were they were calling forward to that by dropping that little seed and saying, see, even back mm-hmm. then there were people on Vulcan who didn't want other cultures mixing with them. So, you know, that was cool. But I have to say that the whole thing with her not getting into the, well her getting into the science academy as we found out mm-hmm. I really liked that I thought that that was very interesting and really um, puts a, a, an interesting spin on what we know about Sark's relationship with Spock later on in TLS mm-hmm. so for me that paid off like it, it added depth to that whole thing and I thought that was good well you see to me Spock being the exception because he is able to grow and learn. But whenever we have seen the Vulcans, there has always been an aspect of xenophobia to them. Oh, yeah. I mean, even the first time uh, Sarek and Amanda show up and Sarek says, I'm not going to discuss it with an Earth man. You know, uh-huh. I mean, he, he grows, he learns. We, you know, we all came to, to eventually love Sarek. But, you know, the, the scenes they had in... Um, douchey Star Trek, you know, of young Spock (laughs) and having to prove himself and everything to not just to the bullying children, but to the Vulcans higher up who have been in contact with Earth now for a couple hundred years and are in the Federation, but there's still this, uh, you know, which I've always thought was, was realistic. I mean, you and I have talked about this idea of on our planet, we believe really Everybody on the planet feels like this. There's mm-hmm. nobody disagreeing. You know, that's, uh, I mean, in my building, you couldn't find that. <laughs> yep, uh, I, I agree with that. Um, I, 
I hope if they're going to do a little more Vulcan stuff, you know, that, that mm-hmm. we do get more of a wide version of what's going on on Vulcan. You know, it would be nice to get mm-hmm. into that a little bit more. I don't know what they did on Enterprise because who cares, but uh, it would be it would be good. It, I, I felt like, you know, Sark coming up against the that dude who was extremely xenophobic and saying, you know, yes, well, we can only yes. have one of these in there. Um, did a lot of stuff to him that later got reflected in his reactions to things and even, you know, prompting that comment where he says, I want to discuss it with an Earth man. You know, he he goes through all these stages where he has all this hope and he's looking for it and then he gets this terrible decision put on him and he ends up making the wrong decision as he finds out later. And, you know, you could kind of imagine a guy like that, all of these things that he perceives as the wrong decisions and the wrong moves on his part, kind of reinforcing that, like, you know what, let's just not have anything to do with these humans. Oh, except that one that I married. I guess I'll still love her. You know, mm-hmm. it puts him in an impossible situation in some ways. Yeah. Well, you were saying, and it's a question that you and I have discussed, is how did they get to TOS from here? Yeah. And I sent you an article. It's it's kind of a misleading title, but it's why Discovery is the best Star Trek ever. It is yes. such a good article. Oh, it's wonderful. I loved it. And it, it starts out talking about what do you think Star Trek is about? Now, I would argue that it's a the story of how we can be overcome our baser instincts. And it's like mm-hmm. Kirk says, we choose not to kill today. Today. You know, in yeah. so many episodes, there are things like this. But what this writer brings up and I had just never thought about this is he says what he thinks he's calling it the upcoming doom or the implied doom ahead is that something very bad is going to happen that with that that spore drive with all this technology they have that we're going why didn't they have that on the enterprise and from that we are going to see the federation and um and starfleet learn and grow and become this organization where being a a ship of exploration is truly a mission. It's not a disguise (laughs) for, you know, other things. And the the prime directive and meeting other alien race, alien to us, other races in peace and finding common ground is truly what's going on. Mm-hmm. But maybe we have to go through this darkness that of, of what we're seeing in Discovery and, you know, Lorca and him being completely amoral. Maybe that's where we need to go. Yeah, I, I, I can buy that. I can sure buy that. I just have mm-hmm. to read this one section because this cracked me up. Okay. Um, Lorca left Harry Mudd to die in a Klingon prison. Is that what a Starfleet captain would do? Not in any other series, but Lorca should. It's important that he does. Captain Archer should have done it, but no one likes Enterprise. <laughs> what the hell was that Mayweather guy even on the show for? He had all the personality of a shoe. <laughs> <laughs> I just like that. It's like Captain Archer should have done it, but no one likes Enterprise. <laughs> but who cares, right? Right. <laughs> So, um, so yeah, I, I agree. Like that, that line of reasoning totally makes sense. Yeah. Something has to happen, but here is the thing that, that occurred to me today after watching this today's, you know, the episode seven, um, they just got renewed for a second season, which is awesome. Right. Yes. When is the bad thing going to happen? Is it going to be I'm thinking, 
okay, well, we get like one more episode and then we don't get anything till January, February, right? Yeah, yeah. But technically we're still in season one. Yeah. I think maybe it's going to be the season one cliffhanger. Okay, but, okay, so looking at it from a production point of view, um, what they're hoping for, of course, is that they get many seasons. And in the past, Star Trek uh, after TOS has been on the, the six to seven season arc because that's about how long they can sustain a franchise with all the actors mm-hmm. and money and all the things. Okay, let's say in the best of all possible worlds, Discovery gets six seasons. Yeah. When does the bad thing happen? That sets everything back to, to TOS. I don't I don't know. I'm hoping they have a plan and are just so pulling too. it out of their ass. So that's like, okay, so if your plan is that the bad thing is going to happen at the very end of the entire Discovery run, you don't know when that is. That could be at the end mm-hmm. of season two or it could be at the end of season six. So what do you do? Like, I don't yeah. understand how they can construct the arcs without knowing what the end point is. And if they do decide to have the bad thing happen at the end of, of actual season one, what are they going to do in season two? Yeah. Well. So I am confused. I, I am confused too, but um, in a good way because I am intrigued. Oh, I want too. to see where they're going. Um, like I said, there are, are things that, you know, I kind of object to or, or gripe about, but I have no big... Um, what the fuck is going on angry sort of <laughs> attitude i'm eager to see what they come up with yeah. and um i'm really happy when i see these tv shows that i believe are well written and that makes me trust the writers cuz you're just going oh how can this what are they going to do you know mm-hmm. and then they 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 come back and they do it i mean it's it's um well, okay, I don't know if you watch this show. You probably don't, but I'm adoring it. It's called The Good Place. I've heard about that it's very good, yeah. It is very good. Well, at the end of season one, there was this huge reveal that I just was like, you know, doing the, oh my God, really? That's what's been going on? What are they going to do for season two? I can't, I had no idea. And they come up with this brilliant premise for season two, that builds on the big reveal that I was thinking, well, now that they've told us what's going on, they have nothing else to do. So in the hands of, you know, good writers who, and, you know, good showrunners who are saying, yeah, let's do that. Anything can happen. Anything can happen. I I think I just, um, I I need to have more faith in the show (laughs) and it's just hard. It is hard, but you know, as long as they're doing things that make me go, well, what are they going to do next week? Um, You know, I'm, I'm still there. They haven't really disappointed me. In fact, so many of the articles I read about our, our time loopy episode was um, so many people saying this is the closest they've done to a standalone, which is true. Yes, it is. And, and others saying, this is the best episode they've done so far. And I thought, well, it was certainly well made and everything. Mm-hmm. And they did figure out the problem. But because it didn't, you know, fully connect to what had gone before or reveal new things to me, I was like, but what? Why are we doing this? You know, it didn't, we didn't really learn much of anything as far it's as our, our, our overall arc story thing. Yeah. Um, so. so the one thing that happened was that they got Harry Mudd out of the Klingons mm-hmm. 
and they introduced see i think that the whole reason that they did this episode was to introduce this concept of time travel like the time loop that that's going to factor oh. in later on well and i think you know the beginning of the romance between michael and ash yeah that was nice. that's something one thing though oh man why did they cast a young beautiful girl as stella so that was totally puzzling to me i i was Again, like, is this our Harry Mudd? Because well, I could see him marrying Stella for her money, and because his father will cover her his debts, or her yeah. father will cover her debts. But that young girl, I don't know if somebody throws acid on her or something, but for her to ten, let's say fifteen years later, yeah, end up looking like Stella in the I Mud episode, yeah, unless. The Stella in the I Mud episode is made from his memory, right? Not from oh, his imagination. His imagination, like this is mm. what I have come like in my mind. This is what my my horrible shrewish wife looks like when she doesn't actually look like that at right. all or sound like that. So maybe I could see that, but yeah, that was that was weird. I mean, the very first time he said Stella, I laughed and I was like, ah, they're doing that, and then yeah, yeah, like okay, this is weird. Okay, so I, I have one thing I want to say before we jump on to episode seven, which is okay. that um, this could be a so long I, show, folks. I, Sorry, it's just a lot to talk about. Um, someone on one of the fan forums that I read had said, you know, um, maybe one of the reasons that, that Sarek had decided to adopt Burnham was because um, they they wanted more kids and they had such a hard time with Spock that they just thought, oh, well, we'll, we'll adopt one. We'll foster one. Um, and, and then somebody said, do you think he brought her home like he was surprising his wife with a puppy? He went... <laughs> Amanda is human. What do humans like? Ah, oh, yes, others, smaller humans. This is perfect. <laughs> well, didn't he say something like Amanda needed another human yeah. or another female in the house or something? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. So since they couldn't actually have another child, he went out and found one for her and said, look, I brought you a small one. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that just made She me followed me home. May I keep her? <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. And then someone else mentioned, you know, this whole thing about him having part of his Katra in her and vice versa. Does that mean that she's like a horcrux for him now? <laughs> Quite possible. Quite yeah. possible. <laughs> so um, should we so proceed to episode seven? Or is there more to the horcrux story? <laughs> no, no. no let's, let's move on to episode seven. So, okay. Um, I, I love time loop episodes because mm -hmm. they're just so cool. And this more than anything, as you were saying, you know, this was one where things didn't move forward. Felt to me like a standalone Doctor Who episode in a lot of ways. Well, um, and um, it, it felt to me, too, like the time loop episode in TNG. Yes. But the, it also reminded me of an episode of... Um, Battlestar Galactica, which was mm -hmm. technically not a time loop, but the episode is called something like 18 minutes. And what it is, you know, they keep jumping and the Cylons keep finding them. Well, due to whatever technology the Cylons have suddenly got, they find them every 18 minutes. And oh. so the crew never gets to stand down mm -hmm. and you see it wearing on them. So it's not, you know, time loops. But I was thinking of both of those things. So go ahead. But also, you and I got to play time loops, too, at um, Improvised Star Trek, remember? Oh, yes. <laughs> we were the time loops. It was great. Uh, 
I I thought it was really good. Um, I I have to say when when he held up the thing and he said it's a time crystal, I was like, okay, they straight up stole that out of the Doctor <laughs> Who episode. Because I'm pretty sure that that I've seen the Doctor with time crystals in one way or another. Anyway, it's fine. I'm <laughs> totally fine with that. But um, I I thought they did a really really good job of not being repetitive and showing that things were different every single time. Yes, you know, they did. That was really good. That was really good, you know, and that <laughs> when, when other people were coming in and, and saying, you know, when, when Mud was saying, you know, how many times have I killed you? Was it 53 times so yeah. far? You know, and then you're like, oh, really? This has actually been going on for a really long time. Mm-hmm. It's not just seeing it from Burnham's point of view where it's like the third time and the fourth time and the fifth time. Um, that was all really, really well done. And seeing them outthink him in that way mm-hmm. um, was was very cool. And this was one of the first times I think that we've seen the all of the the crew, the the top build people, that is, mm-hmm. working together as a team, right? Yes, yes. Previous, it's been like one person or two people or maybe three mm-hmm. people, but this was everybody coming together to mm-hmm. solve this problem, and that was super cool. Well, when uh, Burnham grab, grabbed that thing from Harry Mudd and <gasps> swallowed I it, I was like, whoa! I, just, I was amazing. I was like, was... you are the shit, girl. You yeah. just kick butt. I love it. It was great. There were many unexpected things mm-hmm. happening like that. And it was just like, whoa, this is super cool. Did you notice that the stuff that was in those little balls, was he called it dark matter? Mm-hmm. Like, like... Is that the same kind of stuff like the red matter that Spock had that was going to stop the supernova blah, blah, blah in the movies? I don't know. Are those things related? Maybe they are. Wait, I'm not even remembering Spock having red matter. Was it in TMP? Uh, no, sorry. In the, the new movies. Old, oh, old God, Spock. like I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> that was the that was Don't the MacGuffin. confuse me with oh, alternate timeline bullshit that we don't even acknowledge. <laughs> um, it's not important, but... <laughs> also, I wondered, what, so so Mud takes one of them out, and he, he makes the one guy disappear, and then he has another, mm-hmm. and I was like, how many does he have? Where do I get know. these things? There yeah. seem to be quite a few of them. So another mystery that maybe well, will lead to something else. I was sort of guessing that, like, you know, he cut some sort of deal with the Klingons, Clearly, right? Yeah, to, yeah. to get out of there and saying, you know, I can give you whatever the magic thing is that um, the Enterprise has, and they gave him this stuff. Or not the Enterprise, mm. but the Discovery. And they gave him this stuff. Mm. And then, then, you know, Burnham has that discussion with him. Aren't I more valuable to them than this? And I really had to think about why is she more valuable? And then she luckily told me, you know, I killed Takuvma <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. Oh, yeah, but still having that magic space drive would still still be good. You know, so anyway... Hmm. Interesting. Okay. All right. I'm going to have to think about this. Um, yeah, because you're right. There has to be a limited supply. And if he uses one every time he resets. Yeah. He's 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 on a, 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 a time gated schedule at a yeah. certain point. If he hasn't figured it out, time's just going to keep moving. Yeah. So he at the end, his time thingy, his um, I'm trying to remember what they called it in Doctor Who, and I can't remember right his now. His timey-wimey thing. His timey-wimey thing. It 
disappeared, right? Yeah. It, it just sort of dissolved off his arm. Mm-hmm. So where did he get it? And, like, the Klingons have time travel? Well, they also have... Um, they have the cloaking device. The, I was going to say cloaking device. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the, and that's why this article intrigued me about the Big Bad is coming. And in some way, it's going to explain why in TOS and everything, we don't all have holodecks and cloaking devices and timey-wimeys and, you know, all this technology we've seen. And, and this tardigrade mushroom-based space drive, there's a... Maybe this is a universe that they are going to find. Remember there was a, I'm really hyper right now. I'm tired, but um, <laughs> remember there was a TNG episode where they found out that their their warp drive was tearing up space. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah, uh-huh. well, maybe they're going to find that what they have been doing with all this technology has put the entire galaxy at risk. Wow. And, you know, maybe the big bad is... We all need to go away and not do this. Uh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, from what I'm seeing on this show, they are not above thinking big. Yeah. Okay. That's, I hadn't thought about that. I hadn't thought about tying that together, but that could well be. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. I can, I can deal with that. That would be that would be big. That and would especially be very, very because big. all the other technology that we've mentioned are things we have seen in later things, but we've never seen this mushroom-based space drive. No, nothing like this. this yeah. Is totally. Okay. And that could be, you know, just, just speculating here, that mm. could be the thing that, holy crap, yeah. if we keep doing this, everybody dies or mm. something. Huh. Okay. That I can see that. That's good. I'm going to have to think about that. Mm-hmm. But I have to say the one as good as this episode was, and I really liked it. I was disappointed by the ending mm-hmm. be- because um, I, I mean, I knew that, that the Klingons weren't going to show up, you know, that was sort yeah, of obvious, yeah. right? Like you knew that wasn't going to happen, but would Lorca really have allowed him to just walk away? Yeah, that that was that was sort of a non-Lorca. But you know, Lorca was not really prominent in this episode. Remember they were saying, I want to do this. He goes, I don't give a damn, go ahead. <laughs> it's funny. That made me Yeah, laugh. and then the other really guy was good. saying, I want to do this. I still don't give a damn. Go ahead. You know, um <laughs> it was it was kinda like or- Lorca was having an off day or something. He was, but would but would any of them have, yeah. would Ash Tyler have let Harry Mudd go after knowing that he did a deal with the Klingons and set this all up. They're right. just going to let him go with this arms dealer. I mean, yeah, that seemed really strange to me. And, and mm-hmm. I was all set. Like, you know, they did the thing and, and the computer says, yep, sent, sent the, out to the Klingons and they're going to be coming. And I was like, it's another starship, right? There's going to mm-hmm. be another starship and it's going to be, you know, whatever the MPs come to take him away to jail. And it felt like a really soft resolution. It did. And yes. and even the way, you know, we see Mud through this whole episode ruthlessly killing people, just straight up killing people, even though he knows that the, the timeline is going to be reset. He still doesn't have any qualms about killing people, even though they might really be dead in mm-hmm. real time. 
And then he gets this scene with Stella where he's all like, you know, oh, I've got this terrible pen. He's sort of speaking quasi Shakespearean. You yeah. know, I, I needed to blot out all these things. And it's like, wait, is he supposed to be lovable again? Yeah. I hate him. He's not lovable anymore. <laughs> he, like you don't, I couldn't even feel good about what happened to him because you're mm-hmm. like, wait, this poor pretty girl that he's going to be with. And like, I don't know. It was just, it was a weird ending that didn't satisfy me. Yeah. He should have been going to space jail. Yeah. So uh, I don't know. I, I was quite unsatisfied mm-hmm. with that ending. Um, yes. And I, I felt like, okay, so they got him out of jail. So now he's a character again. They talked about the time travel. So that's going to come up again. The dark matter things, that's certainly going to come up again because we've never seen that before. Mm-hmm. Um, and we advanced some of the interpersonal development between the crew members. So that was good. Uh-huh. But the main plot didn't move forward at all, right? Like nothing happened to move that yeah, forward. Yeah, yeah. Not that it's a bad thing, just, you know, it just didn't. I have really high hopes for the upcoming episode, because I think a theory of mine is going to be proven true. The coming attractions looked incredible. Mm -hmm. I was like, Mm -hmm. again, I was going, what is going on? What the heck is happening here? Yep. So... Well, um, so quite quite a ride, and uh, yeah, it it was really good. I I liked all the things. I liked the fact that you know we got to hear about Stamets' uh, partner, and we also got to see some women dancing together in the yeah, party. Yeah, that was really yeah. nice too, and got to see a disabled guy who was working on the ship. He was in like mm-hmm. a a space wheelchair, so that was that was cool. You know, yep. diversity, yay, yay, still really good, really good. Yeah. Oh, there was one thing I was going to say, and now it's gone from my mind. Mm. Woo! Well, anyway. <laughs> um, yeah. There, I mean, there were a lot of lot of good things. Um, like I was saying, my disappointment was that, you know, Mud was getting very cute. I mean, he called that guy, you navigator person thing. Yes. Which uh-huh. was very close to Helm Boy. Yep. Very close. You, you very, know. Very close. So, uh-huh. uh, I don't know. Maybe all these things are are setups for the universe that is going to replace this one you know in my big theory yeah it could be it did feel like there was some setup happening besides Mm -hmm. the main plot that was going on so i'm I'm okay with it i'm just gonna roll with it and see what the next episode brings it's all totally fine yes and it's so exciting to have new trek to look forward to every week Mm -hmm. it's amazing it's just an amazing thing well um i have not watched any more Orville episodes, but that has been renewed as well. I saw that. And the critics are completely puzzled by the success <laughs> of that show. And they're saying, well, Star Trek fans don't know what they want. And it's, we want it all. We want everything. Yeah, sure. Um, but I, as, as you know, I am going on vacation. I will be staying with family, and they all go to bed really early. <laughs> so, you know, I will be there with my little... Um, iPad and, and everything and the TV and, you know, maybe I'll do some catching up on that. Oh, that would be good. Yeah. yeah and also I have so many books on my uh, <laughs> iPad. Thank, thank you, public library. <laughs> oh, I just All right. love it, love it, love it. Yeah. Well, we should be wrapping this up now because we've been talking yes. for a very long time. So listeners, thank you for, for sticking through to the end. Those of you who haven't already shut this off and gone off to... <laughs> Have well, and I something. also want to, once again, thank Captain Toy and Amanda 
yes. for sharing their thoughts with us. We love hearing from you. We love, you know, putting all this in our mixer and going, yeah, you know, this, yeah. this, this is good. This is why this is like this. And, you know, your comments, your experiences, they're they're important and they're certainly as valid as ours you know <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah or more in some cases because who knows we like we're just bullshitting half the time <laughs> well that's what we're, we do that's we're good at that that's what we're we do it, yes. um, i did want to say one thing um so uh ticonderoga we've mentioned that in the past oh, and yes, um yes. next summer bill is going to be at the the sounds not the sound stages but the the sets that they've constructed at ticonderoga for the the experience and, and it's we have, called trek trek conderoga trek Conderoga. Yes. yes so bill's going to be there you can buy these special very expensive tickets to have dinner with him and see him talk and go through the sets and all that we had briefly considered going and in the end decided against it because ticonderoga is fucking not near anything and, and it's uh, it's an ordeal to get there it really is. So, um, sadly, we're going to plane and a bus and a car and a bus and a room <laughs> and a room. And <laughs> it is. So we'll make it there one day, but just not in time to see Bill. But um, some of you who might be in the area, you know, if you were planning on going, that might be a really good reason to go. If you can, you know, do the four-hour drive or whatever to get there, because Bill will be there, and you get to say hi to him and hear him do his thing up on stage, and it'll probably be a whole lot of fun, I'm sure. And I hear these sets are amazing because they they are f- full four wall rooms like yeah. you're really on the enterprise with the noises and everything. So, so cool. I think uh, yeah, it could be just awesome. But you know, we have really kind of already made our plans for for uh, a travel and field trips and. Yep. Oh, now the dog is growling. He's oh, with he, podcasting and like, wants to play. <laughs> it's true. So, yes, we will be doing Silicon Valley Comic Con again next year for yes, sure. Yes. So um, if any of you are planning on doing that, let us know, and we will be more than happy to meet up with you. So yep. let us wrap that up. Um, for the rest of you, go keep watching Discovery. Tell us what you think, if you've got your own fan theories, yeah. or if there's things that um, you'd like us to mention that we haven't already talked about, about the show or plots or what things might happen please write in and let us know because we would love to know yeah and that will do it for us so as always thank you so much for listening we love all of our listeners so much and um until next time live long and potluck indeed and we cue the music yes mm-hmm.